0: The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. So, as you know, John has been doing a sermon series in the Gospel of John, and today we're in John chapter 11 with the resurrection of Lazarus. So, John's Gospel, there are several unique things about John's Gospel when we compare the four Gospels. Three of them are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means that they are similar. They are similar in content, in structure, in chronology, those sorts of things. John's Gospel uh, stands out for being different from the other three. One of the things that amazes me about John's Gospel, it has 21 chapters. We are now starting chapter 11, so we are halfway through the book. Logically, in the life of Christ, we are near the end. The last half of John's Gospel is entirely focused on the last week of Jesus' life plus his resurrection. And there's a 40-day period from the time of his resurrection until the time of the ascension. So one half fully of his Gospel is is focused on the last week of Jesus' life. Today's story is about raising uh, Lazarus from the dead. So, uh, let's begin the story. Do we have slide one, please? Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two days longer in the place where he was. Um, this is one of the most important miracles in, in all of the Bible, one of the most outstanding. Uh, and if we had time to go into it, it's, it's, it's really the miracle that set the stage for Jesus' crucifixion. We'll see some of that this morning. What we won't have time to is to go into the reaction of the scribes and Pharisees and how this was the last straw that pushed them over the edge uh, to where they finally demanded that Jesus um, be put to death. So the story goes like this. Um, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, Jesus had visited in their home before. Uh, John tells us that he loved them. So Lazarus becomes sick, and the two sisters, Martha and Mary, send messengers to get Jesus and to bring him back. Now, to understand the timeline involved, uh, uh, the text tells us, a little bit later, that uh, Bethany was two miles from Jerusalem. The only reason it mentions two miles from Jerusalem uh, is because many people from Jerusalem went to Bethany to be with Mary and Martha during their time of grieving. But Jesus was not in Jerusalem. The end of chapter 10 tells us that he was on the other side of the Jordan in the area where John was baptizing. So we need to understand the distance involved there. So when, when the messengers arrived, and they said to Jesus, the one that you love is sick, his sisters would like for you to come and be with him, obviously to heal him. Jesus is... So he immediately began to look for a teaching opportunity, as any good teacher would. So when he heard the story that Lazarus is sick, what's the first thing that you would normally do? I mean, it's like getting a 911 call that the person you love is, is deathly ill. What's the first thing you're going to do? Well, they might have expected that he would drop everything that he's doing and immediately rush off. Now, the grammatical structure of... Uh, of verses 5 and 6, are interesting. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days where he was. What kind of love is this? Somebody sends for you, and the first thing you do is stay two days, but delay to go back. Well, we've already seen the rest of the story. We know why he does this. But Jesus is the master teacher. And he is setting up a scenario to teach an object lesson to his disciples. He's setting this up uh, that it will happen exactly um, the way he wants it to. Let's go to slide two. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus, so after the two days, Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples thought he meant uh, has fallen asleep. He will, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. They thought he meant taking a rest. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. In the words of my son, the Trekkie, he would say, he's dead, Jim. He's really dead. You have to be old to understand that Trekkie talk. But they thought he was just taking a nap, and Jesus said, no, not that kind of sleep. He's dead. And then he comes up with another amazing statement. He says, "Um, and I'm glad that I was not there. So this two-day delay isn't because he was busy. He has another plan. He says, and I'm glad that I wasn't there for your sake. So the master teacher continues to set up this teaching moment, this teaching opportunity. He prepares the stage for what's about to happen. John said the whole world is a stage, is a theater. And within that theater, God is displaying." his grace, his glory, and his awesome power in the theater that we call the world. So we look around us and we see all of these things happening and we think it's just natural circumstances having their way. But Calvin was right when he says there's much going on, there's more going on than meets the eye. It is a theater in which God is displaying his glory. This is not just any miracle, but it's a miracle about resurrection. Let's go to slide three. Here we read, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, we mentioned earlier, the text says Bethany is... uh, two miles from Jerusalem, so that's just a short walk. But the disciples and Jesus were not in Jerusalem. They were uh, on the other side of the Jordan where John baptized. So uh, scholars and uh, historians say that that was about a day or a day and a half walk. So apparently from the time the messengers left, from the time the two sisters sent the messengers to find Jesus. Lazarus died shortly after the messengers began their journey. They walked for a day or a day and a half to find Jesus. He delayed two days, and then he started his return journey back to Bethany another day or day and a half. By the time he there, he discovered that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That's significant because the rabbis taught that when a person died, their spirit, their human spirit, would hover over the body for three days to see if the body was going to be resuscitated or come back to life, and the spirit would take the opportunity to re-enter them. Jesus purposely delayed those two days to make sure that he didn't get there while the body was still warmly placed in the tomb. He especially waited until the fourth day when, according to uh, rabbinical teaching, the spirit has now disappeared and the body is firmly and undeniably dead. And so... The master teacher is setting up this teaching scenario so that his disciples and others will get the picture. Martha comes out to meet Jesus. She hears that he's coming. He hasn't even uh, come into the house yet. Martha goes running out to meet him, and she says, Lord, where have you been? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. She says, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Shortly afterwards, Mary comes out, and she opens with the same words. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Now keep in mind, they've been waiting for Jesus for four days, and he hasn't shown up. Each day of those four days, they're wondering amongst themselves, where is Jesus? We sent for him. Is he coming or not? And by the time they put the body in the tomb and the three days pass, they have pretty much given up hope. Now he arrives, but in their mind, he arrives too late. They have seen him heal the sick. They have even seen him raise the dead. But nobody has ever seen a body come back that's been in the tomb for four plus days. They have at this point pretty much given up hope. As I mentioned the last half of John's gospel, the second half, is very concentrated. So Lazarus dies and is resurrected in chapter In chapter 12, uh, we have the victory celebration. Uh, and, and then immediately thereafter, within the next four or five years, Jesus is arrested, goes through trial, and he himself... Is put on the cross. So when they go to the town of Bethany and Lazarus is resurrected from the dead, as I've said, Jesus is orchestrating this teaching moment. But nobody in the room except Jesus himself understood that one week later, Jesus himself would be hanging on the cross. Nobody but he realized that by raising Lazarus from the dead, it was a prefigure of his own death, burial, and resurrection. The master teacher is not just teaching one more object lesson out of many that he has taught. He's teaching them the most important object lesson that had ever occurred. He knew that one week later, they would be having a crisis of faith. When they saw Jesus hanging on the cross, their conversation would be very much like Mary and Martha's conversation. The one that they believed in, the one that they trusted in, the one that they thought would be the Messiah is now hanging, dying on a cross. The disciples look at each other and they're wondering, what's going on? We've given three and a half years of our life following this person, believing in him, believing that he is the Messiah, that he's going to liberate Israel from Roman rule, believing that he's the unique son of God, and now here he is on the cross, Jesus knew that one week after Lazarus, they would face their own crisis of faith. So this isn't just an ordinary teaching moment. It is the extraordinary teaching moment as as he prepares them for for their own crisis of faith. Slide five, please. So they have this conversation, Mary... Uh, Martha comes out, and then Mary comes out. Lord, where have you been? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to them, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Verse 35 is the shortest verse in the entire Bible, only two words, Jesus wept. The question is often asked, why did Jesus weep? The Pharisees and others who were standing around um, participating in the mourning, said, behold how he loved him. They knew that Jesus really loved Lazarus, and so the natural explanation would be, he's weeping because his friend Lazarus has died. And the grief um, of the two sisters of the family. But we know that Jesus actually arranged this whole thing. This is God's theater. This is God's dimension. Jesus purposely going back there for two days. He knew what was going on. He allowed Lazarus to die purposely as part of his plan and he knew what he was about to do. Jesus wept had more to had less to do with Lazarus dying than it did the fact that he looked around at his disciples and others in the room and he saw their lack of faith. Jesus knew that in one short week he himself would be hanging on the cross, and he's wondering, what have I taught them over these past three and a half years? Do they get it? Do they understand? Are they prepared? How do they respond when this crisis of faith hits their lives? Are they ready for it? He saw them weeping. They're obviously their lack of faith, and he wept also. He said to Mary, where have you laid him? And she says, come and see. Slide six, please. Then Jesus deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. He said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, stated the obvious. And the ESV and the NIV, it says he's been in there four days. By now there's an odor. If you grew up on the King James Bible the way I do, it was a little more blunt. The King James, it says he's been in there four days. By now he stinks. He stinketh in Elizabethan English. Sometimes I've seen mothers, and you may have done it yourself have a little baby and you pick up the baby and you turn his little derriere towards you and you pull up to the nose. We know what you're doing. You're doing a diaper check, right? So you don't have to take it off. You know what's in there. So Martha is reminding Jesus of the obvious. Is wait a minute. What is it you're about to do? May I remind you that he's been in the tomb for four days. By now, he's beginning to rot. There's an odor. Are you sure you want to do this? Jesus wasn't really concerned about the odor. And so he calls out to God the Father. And he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus come out. And Lazarus comes walking out of the tomb wrapped up like a mummy with strips around him and he's waddling out. Jesus says, take off the strips. In the King James, it says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the perfect picture of what's about to happen to Jesus one week later. They don't know this. Nobody else knows it but Jesus. He has said to Martha, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believeth in me shall never die. And yet if he does die, he yet shall live. The whole miracle is different than all the other miracles of Jesus. Even the ones where he raised the dead, the recently dead. But this one pre pre his own life, and of what will happen to him just one week away. He comes out of the tomb. This is actually the last straw for the scribes and the Pharisees, and they decide to put him away. Two important takeaways from the story of Lazarus. The first is the importance of creating Teaching moments. All of us as parents and grandparents have a responsibility to create teaching moments for our children, our grandchildren, and for future generations. Remember that Jesus only had three and a half years of earthly ministry. And in those three and a half years, he has train, and prepare his disciples to take over the ministry after he's gone. The success or failure of the future church depends on whether or not these disciples learn the lessons that he's trying to teach them. He's going to be gone, at least physically. Spiritually, he won't be, but physically, he will be gone. He'll no longer be there to hold their hand. He'll no longer be there to give them object lessons. He'll no longer be there to to, to uh, calm the storms and to walk with them out on the water. He won't be there physically, and so they have to get it. They have to understand before he goes. It's important for us to create teaching moments with our children and our grandchildren, that they understand the faith and that they get it, that they understand it not just in words and phrases and facts, but that they experience it in their lives. I was at the mall a couple of days ago. There was a busload of high school students, I assume they were high school students, uh, from a Catholic school. And they had all been up to DC, where they participated in a right to life march. And I saw that and I said, some very wise person has created a teaching moment where they took these high school students up there and they didn't they didn't just teach them about the importance of protecting the unborn. They didn't just tell them, but they took them up there and had them participate in what it means to live the life of faith. It's important that we create teaching moments to pass the faith on to others. The second obvious takeaway of the story is the very subject of it is that God is always in control whether it's about life and death and dying or the darkness or any other factors that come to face us. There will be death, but death is not the end. It's only a new beginning. It's not the end of the road. It's only a turning point in the road. If we truly believe that God is in control, there can be a peace that even in death we are taking a turn, but it's not the end. When life hurts and darkness overcomes the light, when the thing closest to us is going into the grave, whether that's a loved one, whether it's our own health, our finances, our marriage, our relationships, we all face prices at one time or another in our lives. And just like Mary and Martha, by the fourth day, they had completely had given up hope. When Jesus hangs on the cross, the disciples look around, and they they truly believe it's the end. It's the end of their dreams, and to some extent, it's the end of their faith. Things are not turning out the way they expected. Three days later when the women go to the tomb and find that the tomb is empty. And then Jesus meets them on the way. And the women come back and tell the men. So the women are away this weekend at a uh, women's retreat. And they will come back with some kind of news. So these women came back and told them that Jesus is no longer dead. He's no longer in the tomb. The men, the big brave men, the disciples, didn't believe them. They didn't, they didn't learn anything from Lazarus' death and resurrection. Now they've seen Jesus go through it, and they are still pretty much unbelievers. I suspect that each one of us at some time or another have gone through a crisis of faith in which we thought, God, where are you? Why haven't you answered my prayers? why isn't this turning out the way I thought it was going to? I prayed, I believed, I know what I was taught at church, but this just just isn't working out. We've been there. Most of us have been there. We are in the first month of a new year, and none of us here today know what this year will hold. We do not know what crisis will face. We do not know what darkness will come into our lives. We don't know what challenges will be uh, will come our way. Just like these disciples when they saw Lazarus raised did not know what was about to happen to them and to Jesus a week later. We do not know what 2020 will bring. The story of Jesus is a great story. It's a story that ends in victory. But we need to remember that the victory and the victory celebration was sandwiched in between pain and suffering and darkness. It was sandwiched in between times when they didn't know what was going to happen. They couldn't see the future. There was no light in the tunnel and it all looked like darkness but after four days Lazarus comes walking out of the grave after three days the Messiah that they hung on the cross comes walking out of the tomb but there will be times of darkness there will be times of uncertainty there will be times of crisis there will be times when you feel like you are in the grave God why why am I here What's going on? Why is it so dark and gloomy? And so God repeatedly gives us glimpses of his greatness and of his grace and of his glory. That during those times of darkness, we can know that there is a resurrection and that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. And that we can know during the periods of greatest darkness that Jesus, the light of the world, is not far away. That when death seems to be coming for us, that Jesus holds the power of life and death. I don't know what 2020 will hold for me, and I don't know what it will hold for you. But the lesson of Lazarus and what God was trying to prepare his people for was that there are times when we do not know the answers, but we know the answers coming we don't know where the light is, but we know the light is coming. It looks like we have no life left in us. that something has just sucked all the life out of us. But we know who holds the power of life. And we know that he is standing by. And at some point, and at some point, when God says enough is enough, after two days, said to his disciples okay the time is ready let's go to Bethany and God may allow you to go through a period of uncertainty he may allow you to go through a period of darkness but the word of God tells us and our own experience with him is true that at some point God will break through the darkness He will break through the bondage. He will break through the uncertainty. He will break through the doubt. And God will be there. And you'll understand when it happens that God's timing was perfect. And that he knew everything you were going through, every moment, every care, every hurt, and every pain. You'll understand that he knew about it. And that you were in the palm of his hands and in front of his sight the whole time. And his timing is perfect. Worship team will come. I don't know what you will go through this week. In fact, I don't know what you're going through today. There may be some here today who are hurting. There may be some here today where this is a period of darkness in your life. A period of hopelessness in which you don't really understand what God is doing or where he's at. Calling out to God, I need help. I need relief. I need some light from above. I need to understand what you're doing, and I need some kind of assurance that you're there for me. If that's you today, we would love to pray with you. I'll be down front. If there are other members of the prayer team, please join me. If you need prayer today, just for God to reveal Himself to you in a special way, we would love to have you come want to worship God today through uh, communion and through the giving of tithes and offerings Uh, at the four corners, the uh, communion tables are set up. Come, partake of the communion, and if you want to worship God in tithes and offerings, come. We would love to pray with you.